0: A brief warning before you start listening, this episode contains graphic descriptions of self-harm and sexual assault. It's early evening on September 29th, 2015. A 27-year-old transgender inmate named Adri Edmo composes a note. She wants to be clear that what she's about to do is not an attempt at suicide. The note says, "'I do not want to die.'" But I am a woman, and women do not have these. She leaves the note in her cinderblock prison cell. She breaks open a disposable razor and boils it to disinfect it. She scrubs her hands with hot water and soap. Then she takes the razor and slices into her right testicle with the blade. This is Adri's first attempt at self-castration. This time, there's too much blood, and she doesn't succeed but she will try again. Self-castration is incredibly dangerous and Adri Edmo's attempts will become central to her case against the state of Idaho. Adri says she needs sex reassignment surgery to treat her condition, gender dysphoria, severe distress from being born in a body that does not match her gender identity. She sued the state of Idaho and won. The state appeals and her case is now before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That court's decision could be a landmark case for trans inmates across the country. It would be binding on all the district courts in the Ninth Circuit,
1: and it certainly would be persuasive to courts in other parts of the country.
0: Gender dysphoria is a medical condition, just like cancer. It requires a medical treatment.
1: Of all the surgeries I've done, I think this is the most fascinating anatomic dissection and then recreation. It just makes sense when you're doing it.
2: If that's something this person wants to do when their nine-year sentence is up, they should be the ones who are paying for it, not the state, not the taxpayers, or the prison system. You know, it may seem like an objective thing to figure out what are someone's medical needs, and then you try to put that into effect, and as you know, if you ask five different health insurance plans, uh, what is medically necessary care, you'll get five different answers.
0: Defendants can get up here and say that they were well-meaning. But we have here a person whose medical condition is being treated differently. You're listening to Locked, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. I'm Amanda Peacher. I didn't hear about Adri's story until recently. For the most part, her case against the state went under the radar for local media until December, when a U.S. District Court judge ruled in her favor. When I heard about her case, I thought, who is this person? Has this ever happened before, that a judge ruled in favor of an inmate suing for gender confirmation surgery? I started looking into it. I realized that not only was Adri's case a first for Idaho, if she wins, she'll become the first trans inmate in the nation to be provided with the surgery through court order. This is a podcast that's not only about Adri Edmo's case, but also about big questions that our society is grappling with right now. We've come a long way with transgender rights, but what about the rights of trans prisoners? What is gender dysphoria and how do you treat it? And in a penal system that's focused on retribution rather than rehabilitation, how far does the government need to go to provide for the physical, mental, and emotional health needs of offenders? In this podcast, we're gonna get into all of that. But first, I want to tell you what I know about the plaintiff, Adri Edmo. I really wanted to talk to Adri Edmo directly, and I did, sort of, but you're not going to hear an interview with her in this podcast. That's because Adri's attorneys told me that since her case is still in court, they didn't want me to record her voice. So I had to find other ways to get to know this person, And I just want to say this up front. There's a lot that I don't know about Adri Edmo. People who knew her before prison say conflicting things. She's in prison for sexual assault of a minor under 16. More on that later. Here's what I do know. Adri Edmo is a complicated person, and I don't have a full picture. But I wanted to learn what I could. So I go to Adri's hometown of Fort Hall, Idaho. I want to talk to people who knew Adri growing up, as a teenager, when she was known by her former name, Mason. I really want to hear from her friends and her family. That, it turns out, is going to be a lot harder than I expect. My first stop is where Adri Edmo grew up, a little yellow house set at the end of a long, dirt driveway. The windows are covered with blankets, so I can't see if anyone's home. There's a car in the driveway. No answer. A little later, I try again. Still no luck. There's another house that sits on the same lot in front of the little yellow house. I knock there, too. Hello? It turns out that Adri's aunt and cousin live there. Hi. How's it going? I tell them I'm a radio reporter, and I'm working on a story about Adri's case. I'm Amanda. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't have no comment. I don't want to say nothing. Yeah, thank you. Can I I tell you a little bit about what I'm working on? No. That's all right. Thank you, though. It's really clear from that interaction that some of Adri's family are not comfortable talking about her or her case. But I'm here in Fort Hall, and so I decided to explore the Shoshone Bannock Indian Reservation where Adri grew up. The first thing that strikes me about Fort Hall is the space. The reservation spans some 570,000 acres in remote southeastern Idaho, much of it farmland. In spring, the fields are bright green with planted potatoes and alfalfa. Train tracks slice right through the middle of the reservation, and while I'm there, every few hours a freight train goes by, carrying what looks like oil cars painted with graffiti. One of the days I'm here, the sky is bright blue with perfect fluffy white clouds hanging above the horizon. Another day, it's windy, so windy that I can't do any recording outside. The wind kicks up dust and tosses tumbleweeds in front of my car. Pretty soon, the sky is dingy brown. The second thing that strikes me about Fort Hall are the contrasts. I notice it first with the buildings. There's a beautiful, newly constructed modern hotel and casino, The Tribal Justice Center is this gorgeous two-story building with grandiose stone columns and tall glass windows out front, but then some of the other tribal administration buildings are tiny houses with peeling paint and barely legible signs. Same goes for the housing. There are some well-kept two-story houses with curving driveways and entry arches, but I also see a lot of rundown trailer homes with piles of trash or rusting metal in front yards. There's not really a center of town in Fort Hall, but one of the hubs of activity is the Shoshone-Bannock Casino and Hotel. I go inside to check it out. There's a cavernous hall filled with hundreds of dinging slot machines and colorful flashing lights. The room is hazy with cigarette smoke. Across the hall at the casino, I meet someone who knew Adri when she was growing up. (laughs) Will you just say your name?
3: Chris Osborne.
0: Chris Osborne works at the hotel attached to the casino. He tells me he's a family friend of the Edmo's. He used to work with Adri's mom and says he would sometimes hang out over at their house. He remembers what Adri was like growing up.
3: Strong-willed, great sense of humor.
0: Chris and a couple other people I interview still call Adri Mason and use masculine pronouns for her. I don't think they're trying to be insensitive. They just haven't gotten to know her as Adri yet. Chris remembers being over at their house once when Adri was eight or nine years old. He remembers her as a little boy who sauntered into the living room
3: he um, likes Selena. He goes and puts on the music of um, one of Selena's songs, and he comes out and he starts performing it. It was, um, I think it was "Bitty Bitty Bum Bum or whatever. Um, but yeah, he did that and I was like, it was, it, it was cool, but it, it was kind of silly though. He just lip-synced to it and danced around oh. to it, yeah, so.
0: Chris tells me he always thought of Adri as gay.
3: He, you know, he had the tendencies of, you know, females. He expressed, like, with the attitude, um, you know, like, did the snap-snap, or he just had the, the way a, a female would get when they get sassy, actually, yeah, sassy, and give the attitude, that's how he acted.
0: Adri says she had a hard time with puberty. I know this because I exchanged a few emails with her and I read her complaints and court declarations in her case. She says she identified closely with her female family members. She writes about one time in particular in third grade when a boy classmate slipped her a note asking Adri to be his girlfriend. Adri says she felt validated to be seen as a girl. Still, Adri says most people saw her as a gay boy.
2: Uh, okay, my name is Spirit Wadsworth, but um, a lot of people just know me as Spirit.
0: That's someone who grew up with Adri. He's also known by his drag name, Spirit Wildcat.
2: And But that's just me. I'm, you know, a big old drag queen. And
0: Spirit doesn't remember a lot about Adri as a little kid, but they became good friends as young adults. When
2: I started really knowing her was when she turned, after she turned 21, between 20 and 21, when I started knowing her. As and you know, getting in more to the party scene because she was around, she's around my age.
0: Spirit says sometimes they'd go to the closest gay bar, a place called Club Charlie's, but other times they'd drink and hang out at Adri's house.
2: I do remember one night we were at um, her house and we had a boohoo session, and that's just you know, big crying session. And um, I do remember talking about one of my. Um, traditional grandmothers that just passed away.
0: Spirit remembers telling Adri and her boyfriend at the time a story about how his grandmother proudly displayed a photo of Spirit in an evening gown. Not everybody in Spirit's family accepted him at the time. So when his grandmother put up that photo, it meant a lot.
2: She's like, everybody's going to be seeing you when they enter my house and leave my house. And I thought that was the awesomest thing. And I remember telling those guys that story just all bursted out into tears and that I thought that was kind of an opening experience that I expressed to them.
0: One of my days in Fort Hall I meet up with a guy named Clyde Hall at his house. He's a Shoshone Bannock elder and a former judge and he knows a lot about something that I need to understand if I want to understand Adri's story. Almost the first thing Clyde does after we say hello is show me a hand-painted print from the 1800s. It's a painting of a group of Native American men. They're surrounding what looks like a young Native woman.
4: This person wasn't a female, but this person was um, a man that was following the vision of living like a female.
0: Clyde says, traditionally, a lot of Native cultures included and accepted people who didn't conform to one gender.
4: They dressed like a woman. They acted like a woman. They did womanly chores and things. They could also man up and be warriors as well.
0: And he says, in some cultures, these individuals were special.
4: They were keepers of the traditions. They were... You know, served as judges, they served as matchmakers. There was all kinds of things. They could foretell the future, they could do all kinds of stuff.
0: But that ended with colonization. When missionaries and Christianity
4: and colonization started taking place amongst the Native people, of course, the first thing that they did was, they said, these people, what they're doing is an abomination. We've got to suppress it, we've got to stamp it out.
0: Different tribes had different names for these individuals. In Clyde's culture, they're called Tanawape.
4: It literally means man-woman.
0: Today, there's another term that tribes and non-Native people use, two-spirit. But that's a term that Clyde says hasn't been around all that long.
4: It's a new thing. You know, and what I find, what I laugh about is uh, people think that now that two-spirit is like an old, old word in an old, old tradition, and it is not.
0: Clyde claims he actually helped come up with the term two-spirit. He was in law school, he says, in San Francisco back in the 70s, and he got together with a bunch of other LGBTQ Native Americans. At first, it was a social group, then more of an activist group. And they talked about how historically many of their tribes had these special individuals who identified as man and woman. And they wanted to have a new word for that.
4: What can we call ourselves that would reflect the old traditions, but also be something contemporary? And so various names were tossed around. But the name Two-Spirit was the one that was decided on by consensus. Because Indians do things by consensus.
0: He says it took a while for the term to catch on. And it also took a while for tribal members to start identifying as Two-Spirit. But he says that's starting to change.
4: Happy to say, uh, on various reservations, including this one's, it's popped up again. Like a spring plant. Boom. Here it is.
0: In court documents, Adri says she identifies as Two-Spirit. Clyde Hall tells me it's not easy to grow up in Fort Hall.
4: I just know that growing up on the reservation sometimes can be damn tough for anybody. And for somebody that's gay or somebody that's two-spirit, it can be even tougher.
0: Clyde doesn't know Adri, so he doesn't know anything about how she grew up. In emails and court documents, Adri says she felt accepted by her family as a kid. She also says she grew up around a lot of domestic violence and alcoholism. Her father regularly hit her mom. Clyde paints me a pretty dark picture of how that and worse are common.
4: You know, some of the things that happen here, if we weren't Indians, it would just overwhelm us.
0: What
4: do you mean? Huh? What do you mean? What do I mean? Oh my gosh. Everything. Alcoholism, drug abuse, drug use, dysfunctional families.
0: And here, Clyde's face twists as if in pain. His gaze is intense.
4: Murders. You know, horrible things happening. Accidents. Suicides. I mean, we have it all on a regular basis here. And we just have to roll with it. You know, it's not a hello bunny, hello flower life here.
0: He tells me you need to take that into account when you're talking about Adri.
4: So that's the kind of environment that this young woman was brought up in. It's just a given circumstance that shit's going to happen to you in your life if you're Indian and live on the reservation.
0: He's talking about the systematic erosion of Native American culture since Christopher Columbus arrived here in 1492. There are too many atrocities to list here, but Clyde says all Native Americans are victims of this tragic history in one way or another.
4: It takes a strong individual to live here. If you're not strong, the life here is going to take you out.
0: Talking to Clyde was intense. And after that, I take a drive through the reservation just to breathe a little bit. Along one of the main roads, there's this sequence of big signs, four in a row with messages about suicide prevention and domestic abuse. One of them says, domestic violence is not our family tradition. These hands are for beating the drum, not hitting. I pass by another one that reads, people who die by suicide don't want to end their lives. They want to end their pain. And there's a photo of some smiling teenagers. Those signs, they stick with me. If you live in Fort Hall, you probably drive past those signs on a regular basis. Maybe every day. This sounds like a grim picture, I know. But I also want to make a point here. I did talk to people who point out that there's a lot of good things happening in Fort Hall. There are plenty of job opportunities. The tribes celebrate their cultural heritage in a variety of ways. And there's a strong sense of community. I heard that people here take care of each other. But when it comes to Adri, what I can say is she had a rough time growing up here. By this point in my reporting, I'm not all that hopeful that I'm going to talk to Adri's mom. I've left her a couple of voicemails and written her messages on Facebook. No response. Either I'm not getting through or she doesn't want to talk to me. I ask about her at the local grocery store called The Trading Post. This really kind fish-and-game warden says, Yeah, I know Mickey, but I don't know where you might find her. You should ask at the business office. Everybody knows everybody over there. So I do. I go over to the tribal business center, Um, and I ask the woman at the front desk if she knows how I could find Micheline Edmo. Mickey Edmo. You know what? Her grandma. The woman Uh says, Her mom probably knows. You can go ask her. Okay. She works in that office across the hall. Maybe
2: you could knock on the door and ask for
0: Jerry. Jerry? I knock on the door of the office, and she's there, Michaeline's mom, Adri's grandmother. Oh, hi. I'm sorry. Are you in the middle of a meeting? I'm sorry. C- I can come back. Her name's Geraldine Williams, and she's right in the middle of the workday. She says she can talk to me if I come back later. So, of course, I do. I sit down with her on a wooden bench in a hallway in the business center and explain that I'm working on a story about her grandchild.
3: You know, I don't know what to tell you, like... Uh, you know, what I noticed about him or anything like that because I was really
0: around him. Yeah. I asked her, could she tell me anything about Adri as a kid? I don't feel it's any of your business, really. Okay. You know, and uh, I
3: mean, I hate to be so hard, but, you know, yeah. it, that's how white people are. You know, we keep to our own little side, yeah. natives do. And white people are all the other way.
0: Geraldine is polite, but it's clear to me that she isn't comfortable talking about Adri, who she still calls Mason. And as bummed as I am about that, I also get it. There I am, an outsider dropping into Fort Hall and asking people about something that's really hard to talk about. I asked Geraldine if she thinks her daughter, Adri's mom, might want to meet with me. Geraldine calls her. Hello, is this you? Uh, There's the lady here that was... uh... Okay. Asking questions on Mason. Geraldine and Mickey talk for a few minutes.
3: Well, all
0: right. Okay. Bye. Yeah. <clears throat> she says
3: that it would be up to him to yeah. say. Okay. And that uh, she wouldn't feel free to be yeah. saying anything.
0: Yeah. Okay. I thank Geraldine and walk her outside. And then, yeah. all of a sudden, Adri's mom was there in the parking lot. She drives up in a white Chevy Impala, pulls up right next to me and Geraldine. Oh, it's not a problem. She is not happy to see me. She says I'm harassing Adri's grandmother and that she is going to call the police. And then she does call the police. It is a tense moment. She just called the cops on me and... After she drives away, I sit in my car for a minute, kind of shaken. Two tribal police cars show up, and I stiffen. But they don't even really look at me. They just circle the parking lot and leave. I've been a reporter for a while now. And there are some stories that come together beautifully and easily, where you have people who are willing to talk and be open with their stories— And one thing I've learned over the years is you can't force that. You can work to gain trust and be transparent about the story you're working on and how they fit into it, but sometimes that doesn't matter. And that's where I am with Adri's family. It was important to show up, to let them know that I'm doing this story and ask if they want to be part of it. But they do not want to talk about this. I get that message. But there was someone from Adri's past who did want to talk to me. Who really, really wanted to talk, in fact.
1: And I was 19 years old.
0: Brady Summers was in a relationship with Adri for about two years. Brady knew Adri as Mason and describes her as a masculine gay man at that time.
1: So I met Mason when it was the day my best friend from high school, Cindy Trejo, she passed away in a car accident and... I went to um, kind of see her at the, the morgue, and then I got home at my parents' house, and I just got on MySpace back when it was still popular, and, and I put a post out there that, you know, I really needed a drink.
0: He got a message from Adri, who said, hey, let's go drink. They got drunk, hung out. That same night, Adri asked Brady to be her boyfriend. Brady moved in with Adri the very next day.
1: I just said yes, so, I mean, I hadn't really been in a relationship up to that point, and so I just decided, yeah, why not?
0: Brady remembers it as a really hard time. He was still grieving for his friend, and he and Adri did a lot of drinking.
1: That was pretty much the majority of our extracurricular activities. It was just us drinking I mean, we had a room just for all the alcohol containers and boxes. It was, it was a party house.
0: In emails, Adri also acknowledges there was a lot of drinking at that time. In fact, she describes herself as an alcoholic. The only other point the two agree on about their relationship is that there was a lot of abuse. But they each accuse each other of being the aggressor. Brady uses masculine pronouns when talking about Adri. He describes one fight that he says left him bleeding and bruised.
1: He punched down the door and came in and hit me again with the frying pan in the leg, busted open my leg. That's when I just went into defense mode and I grabbed the Bissell vacuum brush thing and I hit him across the face with it and hit him pretty hard, knocked him down, and he started to get up a little bit and I I hit him in the face again to knock him down again while I pushed the air conditioner unit out the window and jumped out and ran.
0: Brady's criminal record shows he was arrested and charged with domestic battery when they were together, but the charge was eventually reduced to disturbing the peace. Adri makes a series of bad decisions while she and Brady are on the rocks. She's convicted for fraud for writing checks out of a bank account that she had closed. She goes to prison for a short stint. Eventually, Brady and Adri break up. Adri attempts suicide after that by overdosing on pills and alcohol. Then, Adri does something that changes everything something there's no going back from, something that means serious prison time. Just a reminder I'm about to describe a sexual assault.
3: I want to express my apologies
4: to the victim,
0: That's the voice of Adri Edmo, and it's one of the few times you'll hear directly from her in this podcast. She apologizes. She says it's humiliating to plead guilty to a sex offense.
4: The humiliating, degrading,
3: nauseating thing to stand here today and to plead guilty to a sex offense. never had ever thought ever in my life that I have to plead guilty to a sex offense or
1: anything like that.
0: This is Bannett County courtroom audio from 2011, after Adri was charged for sexually abusing a minor under 16. She was 22 at the time. From police records, here's what we can say for certain about the incident. Adri was at a house party with her cousin and a couple of other people They were hanging out, sitting around, playing cards. There's a 15-year-old boy there, too. He's the son of one of the adults. The adults were drinking a lot of alcohol. At some point, the teenager takes some sleeping pills and goes to sleep on the couch. Around three or four in the morning, Adri falls asleep on the living room floor. There are separate police videos of both Adri and the victim talking about what happened at that point. In an interview with the social worker after the fact, The victim looks super uncomfortable. He's wearing a t-shirt and gym shorts, and they're in this tiny room that you can tell that someone has attempted to make feel cozy. There are a couple of upholstered chairs positioned around a small table, but it's still really awkward. The interviewer asks the victim a bit about himself, his likes and his dislikes, and then she asks him what happened with Adri. So you got to
3: tell me exactly what was going on, okay? You were on the couch, you were asleep, and you woke up. What was going on exactly when he woke up?
0: There is a very long pause before he answers. Then he tells her that Adri, who he knows as Mason, tried to perform oral sex when he was asleep. Mason was sucking on your dick. And what, uh, what happened when you woke up and saw that happening? He says he pushed Adri off, got up, and told his mom right away. I'm not going to name the victim because he was a minor at the time. I did reach out to him but he didn't want to talk. His mom says he wants to put this behind him. The victim's mom calls the police later that day, and Adria is taken into custody. In her video interview, she's in a small gray room with just a table and two chairs. Adri is wearing a beige jumpsuit, and through most of the interview, she sits with her hands folded in her lap. The detective comes in. How
3: you doing, Mason? Oh, yeah. I really woke up. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I'm Detective Fraser from Chevy PD. How you doing, Mason? I need to talk to you. Yeah.
0: When Detective Fraser questions Adri about that night, at first she denies that anything happened, but the investigator presses her.
4: So it, it so it could have happened. Is that what you're telling probably, me? I don't really. It probably could have
3: happened.
0: Just be honest with See. me, the detective says. Was it because you were, drunk? Because you were still a drunk? Adri rubs her eyes. She yawns and then yawns again. I'm trying to remember kind of here, been, she says.
3: Kind of been drinking a lot.
2: Um, I'm
1: just going to be honest, might as well. Yeah, it happened, probably just because I was drunk.
0: In a letter to me, Adri says she made a lousy choice and there was lots of alcohol involved. She writes she's not trying to make excuses, but, quote, This was a one-time, isolated incident, no priors, and not because I am a sexual deviant stalking or lusting after children. I don't know if that makes any difference in the presumption of my character. I'm not a monster like most people think. Like I said at the top, there's a lot I don't know about Adri's history— but the things that I do know are confirmed for me when I listen to the recordings of her court sentencing hearings from 2011 and 2012. The audio quality isn't great, but I glean a lot about Adri from those few recorded minutes where she faces a judge, maybe more than I do in my entire time in Fort Hall. For instance, Adri's mom, Mickey, testifies at the hearing. She tells the judge her son just needs to get out of Fort Hall. There's nothing here. There's no jobs. And it's really easy to fall back into the alcohol pattern. And I that it's hard to hear, but she goes on to say, I let things happen to my children. I didn't take care of them. I, take care of them. I grew up by himself when he was six, seven, he'd get himself up and get ready for and get on the bus. He's just had a really hard time. When Adri goes before the judge, she paints a picture of herself as someone who is hardworking, she wants to be a doctor. But she's been derailed by alcoholism. I've
1: always been aspiring to become a physician.
0: But she says when she drinks, her priorities vanish. When I go
1: up on alcohol, when I drink alcohol, all priorities, everything, seem to just leave me. And that is ultimately my
0: downfall. And ultimately, the judge doesn't budge on Adri's sentence. She's ordered to serve up to 10 years in state prison. It's here that Adri says she realizes she's not gay, she's transgender. It's here where she tries to live as a woman among hundreds of men, and it's here where she tries to castrate herself. It's also where she makes a decision to fight the state for the gender confirmation surgery she believes she needs.
1: All trans women who are incarcerated as men are facing daily invalidation of who they are.
3: I want to affirm that transgender identity, but I want to be very mindful about what does that really mean? If some of these individuals we work with have pretty kind of dysfunctional ideas about what gender really is.
0: When you're in prison and you file grievances, there's a lot of retaliation that you risk right there. And and Adri persevered through all of that.
1: She did work very hard at what she's accomplished as far as where her case is at and stuff. Like I would come in and almost every single day she'd be right and right and right. And then she did, she did work really hard at it.
0: That and more next time on Locked. You can listen to our second episode right now at boisestatepublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was reported and produced by me, Amanda Peacher. You can find me on Twitter at Amanda Peacher. Our team includes writer and producer Lacey Daly and reporter James Dawson. Our senior producer is Frankie Barnhill. Our managing editor is Kate Kincannon with the Mountain West News Bureau. Tom Michael is Boise State Public Radio's general manager. Special thanks to our colleagues Heath Druzen and Shalane Lippincott. We had mixing help from Andrew Fisher. Thanks also to Mary Lou Holmes and Amanda Eglin for transcription help. Our theme music is by Boise musician Up Is The Down Is The. We'd love to hear your feedback and your questions. Write us a note or record a voice memo and send it to lockedpod at gmail.com with your name and where you're from. This podcast is a production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Learn more at boisestatepublicradio.org.